0: Thank you, worship team, for leading us this morning in our worship today. Today is a, a great day. Today is a good day to be a guest. Today is a good day to invite a guest. It's just a good day to be here. It's a good day to be here if it's your thousandth time, and it's good if you're online. We want to welcome you here as well today. I believe it's a good day to uh, to be a guest, even, even if it's your first Sunday, as we finish out a series today. Um, because it's the chapter 9 and 10 kind of go together of our 10-chapter uh, study in the book of Ezra, a, a, a study we've called Restore. And the reason I think it's okay if this is even your first time here today is, well, first of all, if you've been here for the whole, whole season, the whole time of this series since January 1, um, it's kind of like, you know, you've had the main course, you know, you've had the full course meal, and now we get to eat dessert. Today's the last part, dessert. So if this is your, la- if this is your first time here, I just want you to know it's, it's okay to eat dessert first. In fact, sometimes when my wife and I, when Heather and I go out to dinner, if there's a dessert on the menu that she just loves, that she's got to have, knowing that sometimes you don't have room, she will order dessert first, and she will ask that it come as the appetizer. So it's okay to do that, and uh, today, this might be dessert for you, might be the last message, but I believe God has something to say to each and every one of us. Let me just share what we've been eating, what we've been digesting so far in the book of Ezra in this series, Restore. Uh, I believe it's uh, the greatest uh, recorded in the Old Testament, the greatest revival recorded in the Old Testament. Because the people of God had been faithless to God for 490 years. For 490 years, they had turned their back on him. They had forgotten about him. They were, they, God wasn't in their thoughts or any, any worship they did was just lip service. And now, the last 70 years, they had been in captivity. Uh, They had paid consequences for their running from God and not being mindful of him. And so the greatest revival took place when God, loving his people, moved in their hearts. And in a good thing when God moves in our hearts. And God moved in their hearts, and the people responded. They repented, They, they were restored, and they began to return to God. There is no greater thing in this life than when we return to God. There's no greater thing you and I can do than when we return to God, whether it's returning to him for the first time or sometimes we get lackadaisical in our own walk and we get lukewarm or we get cold. It's a wonderful thing. It's always a good thing when we return to God. There was a, a coach, uh, the Michigan coach, Jim Harbaugh, who used to be the coach of the San Francisco 49ers at the end of the game when they'd win he would say to his team, who's got it better than we do? And the team would respond, nobody. I love that so much that I would do that, I'd do that with my girls sometimes. They don't really get that excited, but I'm like, who's got it better than us? Who's got it better than us? Nobody. Well, I really believe that when we return to God, when we return to him, nobody has it better than a person who returns to God. And that's where they began. They returned to God, and then they reclaimed their true identity. And then they began to rebuild and alter and began to rebuild the temple, and that began to rebuild their lives. And, and that wasn't the end. We saw that they faced opposition and, and know that we're always going to face opposition in our walk with God in our walk with Jesus Certainly, first and foremost, we have an enemy of our soul that's fighting against us. But we also have those around us that are not on the same page with us. And not everyone wants you to be healthy. Uh, the, The proverb says, bad company corrupts good character. Uh, the, the people that we, the, that we invest our time in. And, but they went on and, and they, they got past these obstacles and they finished the rebuilding. And then they began to prosper as a people again. And what is a wonderful thing when we start following God and prosper not in the way of, of materialism, but prosper in the way of our souls. There's nothing better when our souls begin to prosper. And last week, we uh, kind of finished out that there was another list of a Hall of Fame list of those who had followed and returned to God. Chapter 2 did that, Chapter 8 did that, and uh, it's good to be on a Hall of Fame list. My name is on a Hall of Fame list. I've told some of you before, some of you know this, but my name is on a Hall of Fame at my alma mater, alma mater in Mid-American Nazarene University. My name is there, Peterson, real big. I n- always knew that I was going to end up on a Hall of Fame list. just wasn't my name, it was my wife's name. So Heather was the first volleyball player uh, to be inducted to the Hall of Fame there, but my name's still there. I mean, it is there. It's, it's Heather Reichman, and in big capitalist. Letters Peterson's right there. We still, we still made it. She owes all of that to me. Second, second day. So the Hall of Fame list. So now we're, we're finishing chapter 10 today. Uh, Chapter nine and 10, they go together. And at the end of chapter 10, there's a different list. And I'm starting there first. We're going to get that out of the way because it's kind of the bad news. Is there's a list of a hall of fame that we've seen twice in the book of Ezra. The last names written in the book of the Ezra is the list that you don't want to be on. It's more of a hall of shame. And some of the same names that were in chapter 2, you'll see in chapter 10 at the end. Somewhere along the way, they had lost their, their way. In this list, we're not going to read verses 18 through 44, but in it you found 17 priests or pastors. There was 10 Levites or teachers. There was three gatekeepers. In other words, spiritual leaders of Israel were on this list, which is a reminder to us today that no group of people is exempt. No group is exempt or innocent of sin all have fallen short in, uh, of the glory of God. My dad, uh, I grew up, I, 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 I idolize my dad. I look up to my dad. In, in my mind, I know he's not, but he's, he's about as perfect as I can, I can see in a man. But I know that he's not that way. And I remember when I was a young man, he once told me, I, I don't want to let you down. I don't intend to let you down. But the reality is, I'm a human being, and I can let you down. So keep your eyes on Jesus. That's what happened here. They've taken their eyes off God. And in, in chapter 8, we celebrated last week this victory, this mountaintop experience, this Hall of Fame list. And then in chapter 9, all of a sudden, we're back at the bottom. What happened? If you're following in your notes today, the message title of today is Compromise. That's what happened they began to compromise. And in Ezra chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, we see the beginning of this compromise recorded. After these things, after the things that had been done, all of God's faithfulness, all of God's goodness, all of God bringing his people back and restoring them back to their homeland and building the temple, the miracles, the great things, the the prosperity, all the things God had done. After all of that, after these things had been done, the leaders came to me and said, the people of Israel, including the priests and Levites, have not kept themselves separate. That's a key word. If you have your Bible this morning or your Bible app, that would be one that I would highlight because that's important here. They did, not, they, kept, they did not keep themselves separate from their neighboring people's with their detestable practices like those of the Canaanites the Hittites the parasites the Jebusites the Ammonites the Moabites the Egyptians and the Amorites they have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons and they have mingled the holy race with the peoples around them and the leaders and officials have led the way in this unfaithfulness, again, the leaders—they were not exempt. In fact, they were leading the people down. Some of the leaders were leading down the wrong path, and—and and they're just remind us: there's good leaders and bad leaders out there. We should make sure that they're lined up with God and where He's going. But there's good leaders and bad leaders out there, and the key word again is separate. They were called to be separate and separate themselves out. In, in the, in the New, New Testament and Old, it calls us to be holy as our God is holy. Be holy as I am holy. Uh, come out. Be separate. Be different. In, in the New Testament, in John, it talks about being in the world but not of the world. It, it's not we got to live in it, but we're not. We're to look different. We're not to look the same. And sometimes I think we can look too much like the world. But many of the same names that we saw in chapter two, we see in chapter ten. What happened? They compromise. Compromising is a big deal. Now, there's good comp- compromising. There's compromising that takes place in government that needs to happen. There's gov- There's even in our marriages. There's there's good compromise but we're not talking about a good compromise these people the, the Jews they had married outside their people and, and to be clear this morning this is not against uh, interracial marriage that's not what this is God's not against that this is not a racial thing this is a religious thing and they were going outside to a different to other foreign gods and and worshiping their God and other gods this was about Having the same faith and the same beliefs and the same values. And they were marrying those that were outside of those values, outside of those beliefs. In 2 Corinthians 6.14 it says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. I don't know if any of you have had a chance to see the Jesus revolution yet this week. Anybody had a chance to see Jesus revolution uh, man, we need to have more hands. there Next week, That's in the theaters a few more days. You need to see Jesus' revolution. What a great, what a great message. And it was really well done. Wasn't cheesy at all. But the pastor Greg Laurie in it, the main kind of, one of the main characters, uh, when he was dating his uh, now wife, uh, at different times in the movie, they both said to each other, if you ever become more important than God, then I can, we can't be together. Showing that there should be no other gods before them. That that today, that we, we are meant to be God first. I think about this in relationship to my own daughters and the prayers life. I'm a dad of two adult daughters 23 and almost 21 uh you like us we pray for our kids every day and we have repetitive prayers that we pray for our kids every day i have two prayers that i pray every day for my sometimes with heather sometimes by myself but i always pray these two prayers every day for my girls the first one is that they would be secure in their identity and who they are in christ that they would know that they as young, single, young ladies, that they are enough, that they are complete, they are whole, they don't need any man to complete them. Jesus is the only man that completes any of us. But I also knowing that that's their desire and knowing that they have that natural desire to one day marry a a man, I pray the three G's for them. You may not know what the three G's are. They're, They're the three G's I pray for my daughters. Heather knows this. I pray that they would meet a godly man, a good-looking man, and a good sense of humor man. (laughs) Now, the second one seems a little superficial, but let's be honest. We all like to be attracted to the one that we end up with. There's a mutual, that's okay to be attracted. So I put that in there's okay. The good sense of humor, that's not for my girls, that's for me. That's just being very, very selfish. I mean, if Heather and I are going to spend the rest of our lives being around these clowns, I want to have a good time with them, I want to enjoy being in their company. But the most important one is godly. I want them to marry a man, if that's what God has in store for them, I want it to be a godly man. I want it to be a man who is after God's own heart, that is not going to compromise their values and steer them away from Jesus Christ. I want them to be steered towards Him. I don't want them to compromise or settle for less than God's best. Because the first point this morning is this: compromise is the first step into captivity. Compromise is the first step to captivity. It's the first step to the captivity of of sin. The first command, Exodus 23, uh, of the Ten Commandments says, You shall have no other gods before me. Uh, Exodus, yeah, Exodus 23. You shall have no other gods before me. Small g, by the way, uh, we have gods in our lives, and it doesn't mean like a deity-type god, but we all have things that are important to us. Earthly relationships, things, stuff. We all have little G-gods in our lives. God wants to be first. He demands to be first. He demands and wants to be first in our life. He wants to be big G-god. He, he, want, he, he wants and demands to be first before our spouse, to be first before our children, to be first before our business or before our jobs. God demands and wants to be first before our, before our bills that we give to God first. We trust him with our finances. We give him off the top, not off the bottom. He wants to be first in our decisions. He wants to be first in our week, which is what you're doing today. Is You're giving God your first today. You're giving him the first day of your week. He wants to be first in our day. He wants to be first in the consulting of our big decisions and small decisions. He wants us to consult him when it comes to the person we're going to date or the person we may marry. God wants to be first. He wants to be first in everything. And he knows this. If we're not, compromise is also crafty and cunning. Compromise is crafty and cunning. It's deceiving. It's what I call the principle of of just. Not justice. Not just as in to be just. But the just one. Going all the way back to Adam and Eve. It was just one bite. It was just one apple. For us today, maybe it's that person that we shouldn't be dating, but it's we may think, oh, it's just one date. Or it's just one drink. Or it's just one more. Or it's just this time. Or it's just this night. Or it's just one look. or Or maybe it's just, we'll just move in together. Or we'll just... We'll just watch this movie with a little bit of nudity this time. We'll just, we'll just do it this time. And we begin to go down a road. And, and we, for all of our regrets in life started with just. All of your regrets, all of my regrets, they started with just one. They started with a just. We thought it was okay. And it led us. And the thing with compromise is it snowballs. Daryl Blank, Pastor Aaron, our middle school pastor's dad, has said this before. Now, he gives someone else credit, but he couldn't remember who it is, so I'm giving him credit for it. Sin will take you further than you are willing to go, keep you longer than you're willing to stay, and cost you more than you're willing to pay. But there's good news. There's a way back from compromise. If you're following in your notes this morning, the good news is this. It's found from Ezra, uh, Ezra chapter 9, verse 3 and 4. Let me read that first before I give it to you. A- Ezra chapter 9, verse 3. When I heard this, this is Ezra speaking in the first person. When I heard this, I tore my tunic and cloth. Yeah, that was a sign of you were deeply sorry. You regret it. I mean, when you're tearing off your clothing, when you're ripping apart, there's remorse. There's regret. There's, there's sadness that you did this. And he said, when I heard this. I tore my tunic and cloak. I pulled my hair from my head and beard and sat down appalled. Then everyone who trembled at the words of, God, of the God of Israel gathered around me because of this unfaithfulness of the exiles. And I sat there appalled until the evening sacrifice. The first. Then that evening sacrifice I rose from my self-abasement. Nope, I've gone too far. I've gone too fast. I apologize. You're good. You got all of it in one slide. That was really good, really clever. Uh, This is the thing. The first step back begins with confession. Compromise will lead us down a road that we never wanted to go. We didn't want to stay there. But the good news is there is a way back, and it begins with confession. Confession is admitting guilt. Confession is rather quite simple. It's agreeing with God of what you and he both already know. And while it is simple, it doesn't mean that it is easy. Because confession takes humility. It takes repentance. Confession means uh, being sorry and agreeing with God, but we need to do more than admit guilt. We need a resolution. We need someone who will intercede for us. You've seen press conferences of a coach and maybe, or a quarterback, and the team had just lost, and a good coach or a good quarterback, they take responsibility. They 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 say, Hey, this was on me. I need to do a better job of coaching, or I need to lead the team better. I'm the one that caused us to lose. They they take ownership. And in Ezra chapter 9, verses 5 and 7, you're gonna see a great leader in Ezra taking ownership for what wasn't his. He wasn't marrying the foreign women. He wasn't serving foreign gods. He wasn't compromising. But look what Ezra does as a good leader. He says, Then at the evening sacrifice, I rose from my self-abasement with my tunic and cloak torn. And I fell on my knees with my hands spread out to the Lord my God. And I prayed, I am too ashamed and disgraced, my God, to lift up my face to you because our sins... He could have said, because my people's sins, their sins. No, he says, our sins, he takes ownership, are higher than our heads, and our guilt is reached to the heavens. From the days of our ancestors until now, our guilt has been great because of our sins. We and our kings and our priests have been subjected to the sword and captivity, to pillage and humiliation at the hand of foreign kings as it is today. Ezra was a good leader. He interceded for his people. He took responsibility for their sin, for their guilt, for their shame. Sound familiar? Ezra is the precursor. He's, he's the symbol of who Jesus would be. Except Jesus would be altogether perfect. Jesus was perfect. He was sinless. And he took our shame. He took our sin. He took our brokenness. And he paid the price in full for our guilt. Who are we in this story? I'm thinking of the Bible conference, those of you who attended that. We want to we be associated with the good guys. We want to be Jesus in the story. We want to be Ezra in the story. But we're the people in the story. Ezra is Jesus in the story, but we're no Ezra. We're the people in this story. And if we want to identify with any leader in the Scripture, the closest one that we can identify with is Adam, the very first leader who blamed and made excuses we tend to rationalize, blame, and make excuses ourselves. And when Adam was confronted with this sin in the garden, we know what he said. He blamed it on the woman, right? He said it was the woman. It's never a good idea, guys, to blame it on the woman. It doesn't work well. Don't do it. He blamed it on the woman. He made excuses. He blamed her. And what did Eve do? He then said, okay, Eve. What aid, she blamed it on the dog. She kicked the dog. I mean, it was the serpent, but it was the same principle. It, she, it just went down, and we, we went in this blame game, and you've heard what it is to blame. It's short for be lame. It, if you want to you blame, you're going to be lame. I was with uh, my roommate for just, I went to a funeral in Sacramento this week of a great board member at our first church, a great leader, and it allowed me and afforded me the opportunity to have three hours with my college roommate who I hadn't seen in 16 years. And uh, he's a counselor today. He's a doctor. Spends 20, you know, 40 hours a week counseling people. And I was just talking about how sometimes there's people or folks, and I wasn't including myself in this, that I I said that they don't want to take responsibility. And he said, Petey, we're all like that. Everyone that comes to me, that's where they start. That's where they begin. It doesn't start with them. It starts with looking at something else. It starts with looking at their husband or their wife or starts looking at someone at work. Or It's, it's always looking out. It's never starting here. But oh, how things begin to change when we begin to look inward and we begin to take responsibility ourselves. And Ezra here, he owned it. And when we own it, the opposite happens of what we think. It actually inspires everyone. When we own things, when we own it for ourselves, when we own our own sin, when we own our own mistakes, it actually inspires people. When we humble ourselves, it actually brings inspiration. And we see that in chapter 10, verse 1. While Ezra was praying and confessing for sins that he did not commit weeping and throwing himself down before the house of God. A large crowd of Israelites, men and women and children, gathered around him. They too wept bitterly. The people wept because they saw their leader weeping. They saw their leader sorry for something he didn't do. It was their guilt and it was their sin, and they were inspired by by his innocence. But when we see and realize that Jesus owned and paid our sins it inspires us to repent when we see that Jesus took what ours what was ours he owned our sin he owned our shame he brunt the punishment that we deserved it inspires us when we come to understand that it inspires us and it gives us something so meaningful found in verse 2 Then Shechaniah, son of Jeel, one of the descendants of Elam, said to Ezra, We have been unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women from the peoples around us. But in spite of this, there is still hope for Israel. There is still hope. There is still hope for us today. There is still hope for us because of what Jesus uh, has done for us. Ezra identified with our sin and brokenness. Christ is identified with our sin and brokenness. But notice how gentle and kind they were. They took it upon themselves first. Ezra didn't beat his people up with the Bible. He shared compassion with them first. Jesus, yes, he spoke the truth, but he first gave us grace. He killed us with kindness it's his kindness that leads to repentance. May we follow that example of that connection first. I think, of the, again, the Jesus revolution. Uh, it was so inspiring because what was inspiring others to come follow Jesus was their compassion, was their kindness, was their attitude of, hey, it's not my job to clean you up. God will do that. My job is to love you. My job is to have compassion upon you. My, my job is to let you know I'm a sinner just like you in need of a Savior. And it made me think of, it made me think of my friend, Ron Salisbury, and I've shared this story before. Uh, he passed away about uh, seven years ago, pastor out in Southern California of a large church. And uh, God was doing great things. People were coming to Jesus, and one of the ones that came to Jesus was a young lady. She came forward. She came to Jesus, gave her heart and life to Jesus Christ, and then immediately after the service, came up to Pastor Ron and said, I, I, I came to the Lord today, and I want you to know I, I, I'm going to quit my job tomorrow. And he said, hey, hold it, hold it. You don't need to quit your job. Coming to Jesus isn't a, isn't a call to quit your job. She goes, no, I need to quit my job. And he goes, no, let's talk a little bit first. You don't need to quit your job just because you came to Jesus. He said, what do you do? She goes, I'm a stripper. Maybe we need to look for something. And and that church and him, they helped her find a job as a a checker at the local grocery store. And, and word got out from the rest of the community of that church of about 2,000. And they began to show up in her line. And they would be 20 or 30 deep and no one in the next line. And the manager's like, hey, it's open over here. And like, nope, we want to go through here. Because some of them were even tipping her. They weren't supposed to tip. But even some were tipping her. And they were just, they wanted to know that God's best days was yet ahead for her. She continued to follow Jesus. And a few years later, she married and she moved to the state of Washington and she sent back a letter to Pastor Ron a few years later and she said, God's still at work in me. He's totally changed my life. Look at my family now and what he's done for me. But I want to thank you and your church for giving conviction in manageable doses. Giving conviction in manageable doses. We're called to love. We're called to go fishing. We let Jesus do the cleaning. He cleans our life. And, and she on her own, she stopped her profession. She changed. And that's the last point this morning. Authentic connection with Christ will lead to real change. Authentic connection with Christ will lead to real change. I want to wrap it up this morning in Ezra chapter 10, 11 and 12. Now they, they have changed. They're changing. They say, now honor the Lord, the God of your ancestors, and do his will. Separate yourselves. Be different from the peoples around you and from your foreign wives. The whole assembly responded with a loud voice, you are right. We must do as you say. Their attitude had changed. And now they wanted to give their first and their best to God. And then the last two verses of this, in verse 15 and 16, or 16 and 17. So the exiles did as was proposed. Ezra the priest selected men who were family heads, one from each family division, and all of them designated by name. On the first day of the 10th month, they sat down to investigate the cases. And by the first day of the first month, which that's three months, three months, it takes a while to, it takes a while to work through. They finished dealing, it takes a while to deal with some of the things that we've done. God instantly forgives. But then there's some things that we got to deal with. And, and so they finished with all the men who had married the foreign women. Over those three months, what they did was they, ended, they, they, had a, they met with each and every couple that was married. And they didn't just throw out the foreign women. They actually were like, hey, the ones that came to God, the ones that converted to Judaism and were going to be all for God, they stayed. God wasn't opposed he, he, the reason he didn't want them to marry because he didn't want them to be taken from God. But when they, in the rare circumstances, they came to God, he said, okay, this is good, stay together. But the others, they divorced. I'm not advocating divorce. Second, uh, I believe it is 1 Corinthians 7, 12 and 13. If you're married to an unbeliever and they're willing to stay with you, you can read it for yourself. There's instructions that God gives us. I'm not advocating for going out and divorcing today. But I am advocating today that sometimes The work that God's doing us is disruptive. (laughs) It's not easy. And and there's things that he might be calling us to divorce from. There's things in our lives that we may be compromising and we may just think it's just one, it's just this, or it's just that, it's it's just this thing. But the sooner that we can turn from that just thing, the sooner that we can turn uh, but if we've gone all the way God still accepts us back but it may be disruptive there may be some things that God wants us to divorce from I'm going to ask you to stand this morning I've invited the worship team to sing a last song of our good good father and this morning as we close out this last chapter of Ezra I'm actually inviting you to an invitation to do something Sometimes we raise our hand, and that's okay. Today I'm going to ask the the lights turned down. I just want to pray with you, and I want to allow these altars to serve as a place. in chapter three of Ezra, in chapter three of Ezra, the people first built an altar. They, fill, they first built an altar to him, and that was their returning. That was their saying we're not gonna compromise anymore And this. There's nothing special about these altars, they don't, they don't save you, but I think it's, it's a good way to end this series, is that we are not afraid to humble ourselves. In fact, in chapter three, I'm just gonna read quickly the, the verse It says, despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar. Maybe you're here today, and despite the fears of those around you, don't worry about the, what they think. If God is calling you because he wants to restore something in your life, he's wanting you to step out by faith. Or maybe there's certain areas in your life that it's been just this or just that. There's been areas of compromise. But today, God is calling you to return to him, to restore you, to, to make a new relationship with you, to, to bring the joy of your salvation, our verse of the year, to restore the joy of your salvation. Let God do that today. Not worrying about what anyone thinks, what anyone says, but as we sing this song and as we close out this this book of Ezra and restore, let God restore you. Don't miss out on what he wants to do in your heart. So these altars here, we won't bother unless you raise your hand and want us to come pray with you. But it's just a place to humble yourselves. It's a place to say, God, maybe there's a place you're compromising. You say, I'm not going to compromise anymore. I'm giving this to you. Obey God and what he has for you today. God wants you to. Would you do it today, Heavenly Father? In these next few moments, I believe that your word has spoken to us. Lord, the people responded to you. The good news at the end of chapter 10 is it's just a a reminder of those who had turned again from you. But it's also a reminder that they're also the ones that said... We're sorry we saw the error in our ways. We come back to you. And, Lord, to anyone who turns to you, you never turn away. So, Lord, would you give us the courage today to humble ourselves and to pray, to seek your face, to bring restoration, to bring revival in our hearts. I don't care if we've been here 30 years, God. I don't care if we've been our first day. God, if you're speaking to us, Lord, would you give us courage to respond in obedience? In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing this song. This altars are open for you today. Would you, at the end of this series, just let God speak to your heart today, respond to the way He's calling you?
1: Run ways My heart found a surgeon My soul found a friend
2: So I run to the Father again and again I run to the Father I fall into grace I'm done with the hiding The reason to wait. My heart found a surgeon My soul found a friend So I run to
0: God's working in hearts today. No better way to end this Ezra series than leaving here with the joy of the Lord in your heart. God wants to restore the joy of our salvation. I just feel like there's a few more that God wants to restore that joy in. It's not condemnation. You may be up here seeking healing physically, emotionally, spiritually. It's not for us to know. What's important is God knows. But I believe God responds to obedience just want to give a moment. We're not going to sing again just as they're playing softly. I'm going to pray. And if you want to come forward just in this moment, I'm going to close this service in prayer. Then we'll have a few announcements and go. Anyone else this morning? Heavenly Father, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for your great love for your people. God, if we knew, if we could understand just a a fraction of how much you love us, how much you're pursuing us. It doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter our past. You're always waiting with open arms to call us back home, to restore us to who you created us to be. Father, I thank you for friends, Lord, today of mine who are responding, Lord, to you in obedience. You know what they're do- what God, what you're wanting to do in their heart and what they're asking you to do. God, I pray, Lord, that they would leave here different than the way that they came in. I pray for everyone in this room and everyone watching online. Lord, I pray that you would move in our hearts to bring revival and restoration, to restore to us the joy of our salvation and in areas that we may be compromising, Lord, that we'll lay those at your altar. Maybe not a physical altar, but we'll lay them at your altar right now. And there might be things that we need to confess because we want to take our, our journey back with you. So God, Lord, we confess to you today. And we thank you for your word that reminds us of your faithfulness. So, God, we love you, not because we loved you first, but because you loved us first. Lord, I thank you, God. I pray you'd help us as we go out in our week and as we finish this series of Restore Ezra, help us to share the good news with others. May we love as you have loved us. They've made me inspired to return back home to you. We give you all the praise and give you all the thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna let you be seated just for a second as Pastor Nate closes out. All right, hey, if you said that prayer,
3: if you have something that you're running to the Father for, if you're choosing to leave this place and to run towards the Father, I'm gonna bring back up that QR code again for right now media. We gotta start somewhere. We don't run to these doors and then we start walking again. We keep running, and we keep running to the Father, and we keep running to the Father, and we've we've brought up that first 15. The first 15 minutes of your day, you spend time with him, five minutes in prayer, five minutes in worship, and five minutes in his, in his word, and we have a lot of tools for that. This is one of them. So if you want to jump on it now, it's totally free. The church pays for it, but this is for you. This is for you. Keep running. Keep running. With that, we have the auction going on. Tickets are on sale right here, so please be a part of this. Even if you have something to do today and you can just take a picture of that QR code out there and keep going with the silent auction, be a part of that. Let's show our youth that we are for them. We are for the next generation. With that, you guys have a great day. See you next week.
4: This is here we are. It's all about you. In every story of a prodigal coming home, it's all.
1: Good morning, everybody. It is good to see you on this great day. If you're joining online, good morning to you. So glad that you're joining in as we worship Jesus together. The word says to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'll say rejoice. So I want to invite you to stand with me. We're going to rejoice, have joy in the house of the Lord. We're going to teach you a new song Uh, again and again. We will say rejoice. Let's sing this together. you say, saying I have no reason to praise, I will give thanks, oh I will give thanks. When the roar that I hear is the voice of my fear, trying to silence this hope in my heart, I will give thanks, oh I will give song of thanksgiving is my battle cry With joy as my weapon I'll stand and defy The lie of the dark with my hands lifted to the sky I will rejoice I will rejoice I will dance in your kindness and claim it and amen. I will rejoice.
2: I will rejoice. And I will shout up your goodness for
1: I'll speak your name, oh, I'll speak your name, oh, a song of thanksgiving is my battle cry. With joy as my weapon, I'll stand and defy the lie of the dark with my hands lifted to the sky. I will rejoice.
2: and blame every yes and amen.
3: for a moment, let's uh, do some announcements. Thank you so much for spending part of your Sunday here with us. And if all you could do us one favor, and that's one way or another, pull out a connection card, whether that's in the seat backs in front of you, or you go to our hub, which you can get to our hub by texting Hutch to the word, or texting, yeah, Hutch to 94,000. I just crossed myself out there. So yeah, get to it that way. And then you can hit connection, the, the hub and find the connection card tab. And if you're here for the first time, don't skip that first part where it says, I'm new here. Follow the one, hit one and send it back. And it'll just give us a little more information to let us know you joined us today. And then once you're done with that, once the service is over, you can go to one of our welcome tables. And we have a gift for you out there. So please Fill out your connection cards. Let us know that you were here with us. And with that, we, we have four sayings around here. There are four values. And two of them are happening today. One of them is out right out here in our gym. It is our youth auction. It is one of the ways that we show we are for the next generation. We pour into our youth so they can go on all these incredible trips this summer. And we show we are for the next generation another thing is we are for growing deep now the growing deep the for growing deep that's an individual thing that's that's on you guys but we're still for it and one of the tools that we have for you will be coming up right here in a second and it is right now media you can scan that QR code the church pays for this service and it is for all of you to use it is what is they call it the Netflix of Bible studies, and there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different Bible studies by some great communicators, great leaders, great pastors, and it's, it's all for you to get on and use. My family this week, we are starting one called Holy Habits by Derwin Gray. That's a good one I've been checking out for our family, but all you have to do is pull out your phone and click on that, and it's free for you to use the church pace for the service for you guys and for our, for our small groups and, and our different Bible studies that are going on. And with that, Thank you so much for being a generous church. Thank you so much for giving. And we have four ways to give. Those will come up on the screen. Three of them are up there. Um, You can do the giving box down behind you. Again, go to the hub or just mail in a check. But your giving is what allows us to do all these great things. We like to say sometimes that it's not about keeping the lights on. It's about life change. So thank you so much. If you'd like to join in and you've never given before, you can just handle one of those easy things right there. With that, I'm going to pray, and we'll get back to to worshiping. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for who you are. We thank you, and we rejoice. And we're going to continue to do that right now, Lord. We're going to give our praise to you, because no matter what is going on in our lives, you're there. The good, the bad, the ugly, everything in between, you're there. So, Lord, whatever that is, we give it to you now. Thank you so much for being a God that loves us and stays right next to us. Lord, we need your presence now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we
5: continue. She
1: have never failed me yet and Waiting for change to come Knowing the battle's won For you have never failed me yet promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness, your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my Heart will sing your praise again. Jesus, you're still leading now. Keep me within your love. My heart will sing. Promise to stands. Great is Your faith. If you know he is the one who moves the mountains, never will so we're going to believe that promise today thank you lord for that promise of your faithfulness your faithful love it's a joy as we continue in worship today i want to invite you to be seated as pastor Kent comes
0: all right thank you worship team this morning thank you for your time with us this morning sharing your day those online want to welcome you as well it's great to have you online but i'll tell you what there's just something about being in the room in there there's something about being in the room. I, I heard it said recently from Tony Evans, he said, you don't, you don't have to, someone said, once said, many people have said, you don't need to go to church to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus. And while that is true, we're saved by grace and faith, we're saved by faith and grace alone. He also goes on to say, uh, you know, we can also be married and we can stay away from home, but stay away from home long enough and see how that works for you. I mean, there's something about being together, something about the church gathering together in the room. So we're glad you're here. We are glad you're online. But there's just something about being here and worshiping with you in this place today. So good to join you in this moment. And uh, it's a good day to be a guest if you're new with. It's a great day to be a guest. It's a great day to invite a guest for a couple reasons. One is uh, we don't always have that smell outside the doors on this side. So if you walk through the children's area to get here, there's a barbecue smell, there's something uh, stirring, so try to keep your attention and your focus just for a little bit longer. Um, what a great way to spend our day uh, uh, supporting our youth. If you're new with us today, feel free to join us. We'd love to have you. You don't have to bid on anything. We just It's going to be a great barbecue dinner, homemade ice cream. Be a lot of fun supporting our youth and showing that we're for the next generation. And the other reason it's a good day to be here is we're closing out a series. I've had a lot of fun in this series it's been fun to preach through the book of Ezra. We've called this message restore. And you may be thinking, well, I got here on the wrong day. It's the you know, the tenth the it's chapter nine and ten today. So this is our ninth time. We started this January one. And if you've been here all along, for this whole time, yes. Um, it's like uh, I look at it like dessert. Today is like dessert. So if you've been here the whole time or most of the time, you know, you've got the main course, you got the appetizers, and now you're ready for dessert today. It's going to be a good day. I believe it's going to be a good day. But if you're brand new here today, this is maybe your second time, I want you to know it's okay to eat dessert first in our household. Um, Heather, when we go out, my wife, when we go eat, sometimes if there is something on the menu, it's like a dessert you cannot pass up. She orders dessert first to make sure she has room. So it's okay to have dessert first today. Let me tell you where we've been so far, what we've been eating and digesting out of the book of Ezra. Uh, it's probably the greatest uh, recorded revival of the Old Testament. It is found in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah because 490 years the people had been faithless. 490 years, God's people turned their back on him, didn't care about him, and even if they were worshiping him, it was, it was lip service. It wasn't with their heart, all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. They had gone a different direction. The last 70 years, they were in captivity, and they were held by foreign occupiers in a foreign land, and yet... God was working on a plan all along to bring them back and restore them. And God, we see in chapter 1, God moved in their hearts. He even moved in the heart of a foreign king. He moved in their hearts. They responded. They repented. They began to return back to Jerusalem and to their homeland. They were returning back to God's call to them. And as they returned, and which, by the way, there's nothing better than when we return to God. They found it. Some of you have found it at different times we found it at different times cuz we're like we're like God's chosen we 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 have our ups and downs we have our roller coasters but I'm thankful that we have a God that's always calling us back to him, and there's no better thing in this life than when we return to God. There's no better thing in this life when we return to him. Whether we come to him for the first time, or maybe we kind of walked away from God or walked away from the church, God's always like, come back. I, I'm, I'm ready for you. I'm prepared the place for you. There's nothing better than when we return to him. Uh, There's a coach, uh, Jim Harbaugh, the Michigan Wolverines, used to coach the San Francisco 49ers. And when they'd win a game at the end of the game, he'd pull his team together, and he would say, Who's got it better than we do? And they would reply, Nobody. It's something I try to pass on to my family. They think it's kind of corny, but sometimes when things are like vacation or whatever with my girls, I'm like, Who's got it better than we do? And they're not getting out of the car until they say, Nobody. Uh, It's We... We've got it so good when we come back to Jesus. When we come back to the Lord, there's no better thing than returning to God. Because then we, like the chosen Jews, they reclaim their true identity. They began building an altar and a temple. They begin to rebuild their lives. Their lives were being restored. And, and, and it wasn't smooth sailing. We saw in chapters around 5, 6, they begin to face opposition and just know this in our journey with God we're gonna face opposition there is an enemy of our soul number one but number two not everyone wants you to be healthy not everyone wants you to be on a healthy track in your life uh, the Proverbs says good uh, bad uh, company corrupts good character and they faced some of that opposition but then we continued on they overcame the opposition with God's grace and God's help they continued on they finished rebuilding Then they began to prosper as a people. And I'm not just, I'm not talking about material prospering. I'm talking about spiritually. Their souls were prospering. They as a people were prospering. They were too physically, but I'm talking about a spiritual prospering. And then last week, we celebrated chapter 8, as in chapter 2 that we saw, another list of Hall of Famers who were called out, recorded by Ezra, as those who had responded to God's call to return to Him. It's great to be on a Hall of Fame list. I know some of you don't know. I'm in the Hall of Fame at my alma, alma mater. I'm going to brag a little bit. I am uh, at Mid-American Nazarene University. You can go and find the name Peterson. It's just under the wrong sport. It's in volleyball. Heather was the first elected into the Hall of Fame uh, at our alma mater, but I made it in on her coattails. My name is still in the Hall of Fame today. Today in chapter 9 and 10, we're going to put the, the two go together. There's a list of names again at the end of chapter 10, 18 through 44. We're not going to read all those names, but here's what we need to know about them. They, this was not a list of, like we've had two previous times before, of a Hall of Fame. This was now the Hall of Shame. This was a list of those who uh, we're going to see what they did today, but they had kind of turned back away. In fact, some of those same names that you see in chapter 10, they're in chapter 2. They got off to a good start, but they weren't finishing well. There's good news. They're still going to finish well, but there's another list of names. And in these list of names, in chapter 10, there were 17 priests or what you'd say is pastors. There was 10 Levites or or, uh, teachers. There was three gatekeepers. These were the spiritual leaders of Israel. They were the spiritual leaders of that day, and they were part of the group, which reminds us today, it reminds us that even pastors are not innocent of sin. No group of people is innocent of sin. Every single one of us has something in common today. We're all sinners. We've all fallen short of God's grace and mercy, but he, in his love, is calling us back to him. My dad... I have so much. I look up to my dad. In my mind, he's not perfect, and he knows that. But in my mind, he's about as close to perfect as he can be. And he's 82 years old, and many years ago when I was a young teen, he once told me, Kent, he was a pastor himself, he said, Kent, I, I, I can let you down. I don't intend to let you down. I don't want to let you down, but I'm human, so I can let you down. I can let you down. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And this is what happened in, in chapter 9 and 10. They took their eye off the ball. Chapter 8, they were celebrating this victory. They were in the Hall of Fame list. And now chapter 9, they're down at the bottom. What happened? If you're following your notes today, it's one word that was their demise. It was the word compromise. They compromise. Chapter 9, verses 1 and 2 begins to tell the story. Ezra records, after these things had been done, the leaders came to me and said, after these things that had been done, the first eight chapters, God's faithfulness, his goodness, his bringing them back, back home, helping them rebuild, helping them restore their lives, after all these great things and miracles of God and good things of God, after all these good things, after they had all been done, the leaders came to me and said, the people of Israel, including the priests and the Levites, the leaders, have not kept themselves separate. That's a, a key word here. And if you have following along in your Bibles or even in your, in your uh, smartphones, it's a good place to just highlight. That's an important word today. They, kept, they did not keep themselves separate from the neighboring peoples with their detestable practices like those of the Cainites, Hittites, Perizzites, Jebusites, Ammonites, Moabites, Egyptians, and Ammonites they have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons and they have mingled the holy race with the peoples around them and the leaders and officials have led the way in this unfaithfulness they had gotten comfortable they'd returned home they'd returned, and the leaders were leading the way I mean there's good leaders and there's bad leaders out there be careful who you follow uh, just because a leader doesn't mean you're a good one. There's good and bad, good kings, bad kings. But the key word is said to separate. God calls us out as His people to be holy, as I am holy. To be different. To come out. To separate yourselves, not to be weird. I mean, there's an element that it's weird. Um, people following Jesus. There's, I get there's that element, but we're not called. I'm not calling us to weirdness. I'm not calling us to separate ourselves from the world we live in. Uh, in First in Corinthians, it says to be in the world but not of the world. Jesus, what he, where did he spend a lot of his time? He, he was comfortable with sinners and the religious. He was comfortable with everybody. He spent time with everyone. But he didn't fall into their sins. He didn't live out their sins. He was called to be different. God moved the people to return home, but the problem is... They didn't change all their practices. They didn't change all their ways. When God saves us, he calls us out. He sets us apart. He calls us to be different. And many of those names in chapter 2 are now on this hall of shame in chapter 10. What happened? They compromised. They married outside the people. To be clear, to be clear, this is not, this is not against interracial marriage. God's not opposed to interracial marriage. This was an opposition to a religious, to being opposed religiously. This was this was not identifying with with God anymore. It was identifying and not worshiping the same God. And they were marrying foreign wives and foreign husbands that weren't that had different gods, different idols. And it was mixing. And there's a in the New Testament. It says this, 2 Corinthians 6.14, it says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Has anybody seen the Jesus Revolution? Uh, movie this last week. I Man, if I said this next week, I hope every hand goes up. It is a great, it is a really great movie. It's not cheesy. Some of the Christian movies I've seen, let's be honest, some of them are cheesy. They're getting so much better, and it's really, really well by some great actors. And in this movie, Pastor Greg Laurie, there's a couple scenes, one with him at the beginning, one with his would-be wife one day at the end. Where they said the words, if you ever become more important to me than God, then I don't want to be in this relationship. Because they wanted God to be first. To have no other gods before them. I'm a pastor of two young adult daughters, almost 21, almost 23. And we as parents and grandparents, we pray for our kids every single day. And some of those prayer, prayers are repetitive. I got a couple repetitive prayers that I pray every day, sometimes with Heather, sometimes by myself. But there's hardly a day that goes by that I don't pray these two prayers. One is I pray that both of my daughters will know as young single ladies that they are enough, that they will know that who their identity and their security is in Christ, that their identity is in Him that they are enough, that they don't need any man to complete them. The only man that completes any of us is Jesus Christ. And so that's my first prayer for them. They'll know who their identity is in Christ. But knowing that their natural desires is to find a man should God want to bless them with that. Knowing that that's their desire, I pray the 3G prayer every single day. You may not know it. If you're a father of of daughters, you might want to pray this prayer. If you're a father of sons, actually, you can pray this prayer. I pray three The 3G prayer. The first is that they'll marry a godly man. The second, I pray, is that they'll find a good-looking man. (laughs) Well, might as well go for it. The third thing is, is that they would marry a good sense of humor man. Now, the second one may seem superficial, uh, but it's recorded that Joseph in the Scripture was handsome and, you know, easy on the eyes, and David was. And so I'm praying, you know, that's a selfish prayer for them because I know that they would want that. But the the third one is my selfish prayer, that they would have a good sense of humor. Uh, Because I've come to this conclusion, if if they're going to spend the rest of our lives and Heather and I's lives, I don't want these clowns to not be fun to be around. You know? I want to get something out of it. I want to enjoy something in it. But the number one prayer that I have is that they'll be godly, that they'll be a man after God's own heart, that they'll love God, they'll pursue God, and they'll be equally yoked. With him. So I pray that for them. I don't want my daughter to settle for less than God's best or to compromise. Because the first thing your notes is this: compromise is the first step to captivity. Compromise is the first step to captivity. I remember what it was to be young and dumb, and I thought, man, I could date anyone, and I would just bring them over to what I believed and my thoughts. Thankfully. You know, 98% of those girls, none of them were interested back in me. And so I didn't even have the temptation, you know. It's like, anyway, that's, that's going deeper than I was planning on going today. So TMI, too much information. Compromise is the first step to captivity, to sin. The first command, Exodus 23, says you shall have no other gods before me. It's God's first command to us. And when he says no other gods, it's small g, because we do have little gods in our life, and this isn't a deity that we're talking about. We're talking about our, maybe our spouses or our children, our things, our stuff, that we have those things in our life, but they're not to be more important than God. God is to be first. God wants and demands that he is first in our lives that he is first with our spouse that he becomes first with our children that first before your business or before your job that he's to be first before we pay the bills that he gets the first off the top he's first in our finances we trust him first that he's be, to be the first of our of our week so what you're doing today is you're giving God your first. You're giving God the first day of your week, gathering together as the church. God wants us to give us the first of our days to him. Trust him with everything. He wants us to give him first. He wants us to consult him first about the people uh, that we might date or the people that we might marry. God wants to be first. Because if he's not, compromise is coming. And the second thing is compromise is crafty and cunning. It's deceiving. It's deceiving. I call it the just principle, or the just one principle. The just or the just one principle. For Adam, the the very first, it was just one bite. It was just one apple. It was just one bite of fruit. For us today, it can be many different things. It can be that someone we know we shouldn't date that doesn't share our values, but it's just one date, or it's just one drink. Or it's just one more, it's just this time, or just this night, or just one look, or we'll just move in together, or just this movie that really goes against my values, but just this one. There's so many just things that are compromises that take us away from God's best for our life. And every regret I've ever had that you've ever had started with just one. And then that compromise begins, and that compromise snowballs. Pastor Aaron, our middle school pastor, his dad, I've heard him say this, and he uh, would not take credit for it because he said he heard it from somewhere else, but I'm giving him credit for it today. He said, sin will take you further than you are willing to go, keep you longer than you're willing to stay, and cost you more than you're willing to pay. The good news is, God has a way back after compromise. There's a way back from compromise. Ezra chapter 9, verses 3 and 4 says, When I heard this, this is Ezra in in first person saying, When I heard this, I tore my tunic and cloak, pulled my hair from my head and beard and sat down appalled. He was so Disgusted, he was so, It so bothered him, the sins of his people, that he tore, up, he tore his clothes. It was a sign of, he's appalled by this. Then everyone who trembled at the words of God of Israel gathered around me because of this unfaithfulness of the exiles. And I sat there appalled until the evening sacrifice. Confession. That's the road back. The first step begins with confession. Confession is admitting guilt. Confession is telling the honest truth about what you've done that both you and God know. You, you both know it. We both know it. it. It's being honest with God about it. Confession is a simple act, but don't confuse it with an easy act because confession requires humility. Confession requires being sorry. Confession, repentance requires coming in agreement with God that he's right and we're wrong. But we need to do more than admit guilt. We need a resolution. We need someone to intercede for us. Just like any uh, good coach or good quarterback, you've seen interviews after the games when they've lost, any good coach or good quarterback, they take responsibility for the loss. They, 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 they say, hey, I, this is on me. The coach says, I need to coach better. The quarterback says, I need to play better. But they take responsibility for the team. Any good leader takes accountability and and responsibility. And here in Ezra, chapter 9, verse 7, verses 5 through 7, we have a great leader. Ezra is exemplary of this. He said, then at the evening sacrifice, I rose from my self-abasement with my tunic and cloak torn, and I fell on my knees with my hands spread out to the Lord my God, and I prayed. I am too ashamed and disgraced, my God, to lift up my face to you. Keep in mind, Ezra, he, didn't, he wasn't one of the ones that married the foreign women. He wasn't the one uh, going into idol worship and, and walking away from God. But he's taking credit. He's shamed and disgraced. He said, my God, to lift up my face to you because our sins, not my people's sins, not their sins, our sins... He's identifying with them. He's saying, "Hey, if it's, if it's hurt you, it's hurt, it's hurt me. Because of our sins are higher than our heads, and our guilt has reached to the heavens. From the days of our ancestors until now, our guilt has been great. Because of our sins, we and our kings and our priests have been subjected to the sword and captivity, to the pillage and humiliation at the hand of foreign kings as it is today. Ezra was a good leader. He interceded for his people. He accepted responsibility for their sin, for their guilt, for their shame that wasn't his. Sound familiar? Jesus. Ezra's the precursor. He's the example of what the perfect Jesus was, who took our place, who took our shame, took our guilt, took our shame, he bore our consequences and paid the price for our sin. Ezra in this story is most like Jesus. Who are we in this story? If you went through the Bible conferences, you kind of know where I'm going with this. Uh, we're, not, we're not Ezra. We'd like to be Ezra in the story. We'd like to be the hero in this story, but we're the people in this story. We are the ones that turned our backs on God. We're the ones that have been faithless for 490 years. Ezra represents Jesus. We are represented by the people. If we want to identify with any leader in the Old or New Testament, the one we most closely resemble is Adam, the first leader, who sinned against God and immediately went into the blame game, immediately began to make excuses because that's what we do. We blame others. We make excuses for our sins. We, we don't own up to it. And, and Adam, he was someone who blamed and made excuses. When God first came to Adam, he said, hey, the woman made me do it. Guys, it's never a good idea to blame the woman. Let me just say that. Never works well. But then he went to Eve, and who would Eve, Eve blame? Well, she kicked the dog. She blamed the dog. Well, it wasn't the dog, it was the serpent. But it, you see what I'm saying. It, we just started this blame game. That's That's who we are most like. But Ezra was most like Jesus, and he owned it. When we own it, when we come to the place that we own it, it actually does the opposite of what we think. When we own our sin, we receive grace. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. When we humble ourselves, he comes close. When we confess, he comes near. It inspires others as well. In chapter 10, verse 1, Ezra says, while Ezra was praying and confessing, talks about third person, weeping and throwing himself down before the house of God, a large crowd of Israelites, men and women and children, gathered around him. They too wept bitterly. When they saw that their leader, who was innocent of the sins that they had committed, and yet he took ownership of it, it inspired them. And it gave them a word that is so important that we all need found at the end of verse 2. Then Shechaniah, son of Jehiel, one of the descendants of Elam said to Ezra, we have been unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women from the peoples around us, but in spite of this, there is still hope in Israel. Despite of this, there is still hope. Because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, no matter our sin, no matter our regrets, no matter our shame, no matter our brokenness, no matter our past, because of what Jesus has done, we still have hope. That's why we gather. We're a people of hope. We have a hope in a future because of what Christ has done for us. And Ezra identified with the sin and brokenness of his people, just like Christ has identified with our sin and our brokenness. And they didn't beat him up either. Ezra didn't beat his, his fellow Israelites over the head with the Bible. He had compassion on them. He identified with them. He, he drew and he connected with them. Uh, Jesus, same thing. He, yes, he shared the truth and spoke the truth. But he first came with grace. And he shared his love. Scripture says that it was his kindness that leads us to Repentance. It was his connecting with us in kindness and compassion that stirred our hearts to return and come to him. Again, the, the Jesus revolution, one of the things I loved about it, it was just all about people loving others, letting God clean people up, letting God clean the fish. We just go fishing. We let God do the cleaning. That, that we, we, we connect with people that we're broken. We're sinners. We don't have our all of our act together. We're just... We live under the grace of God. We want that same grace for others. I thought about it and the friend, my friend, Ron Salisbury, he passed away seven years ago after a 12-year battle at age 62 with prostate cancer. I think of his faith, but I think of some of the stories. He pastored in Southern California, a large church of a couple thousand people. They were so good. That church was so good at loving on their community, loving on people. And people began to be inspired. They began to come to Jesus. And one of those was a young lady who came on a Sunday, actually went forward to an altar like this, gave her life to Jesus. And she got up and she sought Pastor Ron out and she said, this is my first, I gave my life to Jesus today and tomorrow I'm going to quit my job. And he said, hey, let's hold on here. We're going a little fast. Uh, You don't need to quit your job when you come to Jesus. She goes, no, no, I, I really think I need to quit my job. I'm going to do it tomorrow. And he goes, no, you, let's, let's talk a little bit about it. What's your job? She said, well, I'm a stripper. I said, well, maybe we need to look for a new job. Let's see if we can help you find something. And they helped her find a job as a, as a, a clerk checking out groceries at the local grocery store. This church of 2000 began to hear word of this change, this transformation, this story, and they wanted to encourage her, and they began to show up to her checking aisle. They began to, sometimes it was 20, 30 deep, and the other checkers, they had no one in line. The manager was like, come over here, and like, no, 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 she's one of us. We're, we want to we wanna go through her line, and they weren't supposed to do this, but they knew that she made better money, and she wasn't making what she was then, so they, they would tip her, they would slip her some bills, and they just loved on her, and she changed God began to transform her life and she got married, she moved up to Washington, she had kids, and she sent back a a letter back to Pastor Ron a few years later. And some of the last words in that letter to him was, thank you for being a church that gives conviction in manageable doses. Friends, I want to be a church that gives conviction in manageable doses. We're all sinners. We're all in need of a Savior. We, we need God to forgive us and come into our life and trust in Jesus Christ. But my prayer is that we'll be a, a church, that we share the truth, we share the biblical truth that God calls us sinners, but he gives us the grace to say, I want you back. I want to restore you. I want, to, I want you to return to me. She stopped. She changed. The last thing this morning is authentic connection with Christ will lead to real change. She left her job. Not everyone, you don't don't need to leave your jobs to come to Jesus, maybe. Ezra 10, 11, and 12 kind of wraps up. The change had been made. The people were back on track. And so now they said, now honor the Lord, the God of your ancestors, and, and do his will. Separate yourselves. Be different. Don't be like everyone else. Be different. You're called to be different. You're called to be refreshing. You're called to be something altogether different from the peoples around you and from your foreign wives and the whole assembly responded with a loud voice you are right, that's repentance we agree with God, we must do as you say, God we're with you now we're back, thank you then there's some work to do because we love forgiveness but then God wants to work in our life to bring about the change in us for our better for his glory in the last few verses so the exiles did as was proposed Ezra the priest selected men who were family heads one from each family division and all of them designated by name and on the first day of the tenth month they sat down to investigate the cases So they brought each of these marriages before them and by the first day of the first month they finished dealing with it this was a period of three months there was a lot of uh... Inter- marriages to those that weren't following God. But in the midst of all that, there were some that gave their lives to Jesus, some of the foreigners that gave their lives to Jesus. God wasn't opposed them being married. He wanted them to be fully devoted to him. So they came together and they made judgments and said, okay, you're wanting to go with God. You guys stay together. But anything that's going to take you away from me, you need to divorce it. This is not a message of leave church and divorce your wife who's not a believer or leave, your, or leave your husband who's not a believer. I don't have time for it today, but 1 Corinthians 7, 12, and 13 says, if you have an unbeliever that's willing to live with you, my grandpa lived with my grandma for 50 years, 52 years, as an unbeliever because he respected her and was willing to live with her. She honored God by keeping her covenant and commitment. But what I am talking about is sometimes... When we come to Christ, actually all the times when we come to Christ, there's some drastic changes that need to take place. There's some dealing with some stuff that we need to deal with. And we're called to be different. We're called to make those changes. Anything that's taken us away from God, we're called to make those changes. And not to, in this case, divorce our spouses, but divorce our old life. Maybe divorce some of the things that we used to do. Divorce some of the compromises that we're making. Compromises that we know in our heart is like, yeah, but we're just, it's just this time or it's, it's just, you know, it's just. God wants us to call us out to make us separate, to, to make us our best self who we're meant to be in Christ. In chapter 3, a few weeks ago, it says, despite the fear of the peoples around them, they built an altar. Today, as we close out this series, there's these altars in our church. There's nothing magical about them, but they are a place that we symbolize returning to God. It it symbolizes humbling ourselves before him. This morning, I'm gonna invite you to stand. The worship team is going to sing a song with us. It's about the faithfulness of God. It's about a good Father who's loving, compassionate, always ready to receive us. This morning, maybe there's something that you've been compromising. No one's here to judge you, by the way. You come forward, hey, it does the opposite of what you think. It inspires people because they're like, that person just wants to get closer to God. That person wants to get closer to Jesus. We don't have to know what it is. It's between you and God. But today, I believe, as we close out this restoration series of, uh, of Ezra, I believe God is calling people back. I believe God is wanting to restore people, wanting to restore them into a relationship with him. So as we sing this song, as even some are already coming, we're not going to judge. We're not gonna, not a, this is just a place to draw closer to God, to, to humble ourselves before him. As we sing, let the word speak to you today. And if God is calling you, be courageous. Don't worry about what the people think. Let God leave, you leave here with the joy of his salvation.